on this Easter Sunday, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Let us ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word today. All glory be to you, God the Father Almighty, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We praise you that in this day our Savior, Jesus Christ, was risen from the dead, resurrected as the first fruits of those who sleep, and that in him we are partakers of his victory over sin and death. We thank you that by the working of your Holy Spirit in us, we who are yours are led into all truth as it is in the risen Christ. Be gracious, or by your gracious hand, remove all restraints to our understanding as we hear your eternal word. And so we bless you and praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, for your great mercy and so great a salvation unto us. How great and marvelous you are, O Lord, and we rejoice in you and in your ways. In Christ's name, amen. Christ is risen. You know, as I was reflecting this morning upon Easter and Christ's resurrection, a funny story came back to me. Many of you know that for some time I worked in the restaurant industry, in particular for McDonald's, the Golden Arches. And during my time, at one point I worked for an owner-operator who had concern if even one french fry was on the floor of the restaurant. And he said, you cannot walk past that one fry on the floor, particularly as a manager. Because what will happen is, you'll say, I have a priority that is greater than that one fry on the floor. And that might be true. And of course, safety above all things, we all get that. But that French fry on the floor there, he says, you're going to walk past it the first time and say, I have something more important to do. And you say, I'm going to get that the next time I go by. And the next time you go by, you're going to say, ah, but this thing over here is more important than that french fry right there. And he said, it doesn't take very long that you come to the end of the day and you've said, I've got these priorities and I'm going to leave and that one french fry is still going to be on the floor. And the next day you'll come in and from a distance you'll see that fry sitting under the edge of the fry station and you'll say, I need to get that. But wait, I have this priority over here. And you come to the end of another day and that french fry is still there. And not to belabor the point, but what happens is over time we walk past it again and again and then you know what? That french fry simply becomes part of what we don't even see anymore. It's just there. And as I was reflecting on the resurrection of our Lord, that He is alive, sometimes as Christians we can say, yes, we know Jesus is alive, yes, He's resurrected, but yet we treat it as if it's commonplace. I don't know about you, but I've never personally met anyone that was resurrected. I've met a handful of people who were practically dead and the Lord was merciful and God restored them. But in fact, someone to be resurrected and to still be alive 2,000 years later 
That is something. And we should not simply walk past it as if it's mundane. All this week, and this is going to circle back at the very end of the sermon, but I, I just want to say this to you, people of God. We need to grasp hold of this. Our Lord and Savior is alive. He is resurrected. And it is the seal of God's faithfulness to his promises to all of us. So again, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So here today we're going to consider the first day. We see in our passage from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, it says this, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So there's a couple of things to note there. It was the first day of the week, and while it was still dark. Remember, if you were here on, on Friday for our, our Good Friday service, we talked about Jesus entering into Jerusalem in the light and in the daylight, and how all of these things happened in the darkness. Even his death. And yet, as Mary Magdalene comes on the first day of the week, it is still dark. People of God, this is creational language. We have both the first day of the week and darkness. Consider Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning of the first day. People of God, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior is the beginning of the new creation. You heard that in some of our prayers here today. Don't lose sight of this. In Christ's resurrection, we have moved from the old creation to the new. From the old world where sin offerings had to be done over and over and over again. In Christ, however, all sin was dealt with once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 tells us this, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly, what? The same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstool. For by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. People of God, this new creation includes the cosmos. Colossians 1.19 says this, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and that by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. This is creational language. At the creation, the firmament acted as a curtain or mediator between God and all creation 
including mankind. See what Jesus says in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Jesus speaks to this. It says this, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In his atoning death, Jesus becomes the new firmament, the mediator between heaven and earth. His death will grant men access to the baptismal heavenly waters and provide birth from above by water and spirit. Consider Luke's gospel account of Jesus' death. Luke 23, verse 45. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Consider Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, listen, people, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of the work of Christ, we can draw near, all of us, and we can draw near with full assurance of faith because it is the work of Jesus Christ and not our own. Because of His work, our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Everyone in this room has recognized that they have committed sin, that they have done wrong, and they have no way to resolve it. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can have full assurance that our sins are forgiven. Not because we were good enough, not because we earned it, but because of His love and faithfulness to us. I want to remind all of you here today, if you've been hanging around me the last two or three weeks, you've heard me say this again and again, because I think we need to hear it. God, through the work of Jesus Christ, stands ready to forgive us more then we stand ready to be forgiven. We try to stack up all kinds of things in the way to say, no, I don't believe that Jesus can forgive me, that I am, I am possibly good enough for Him to care for me. People of God, hear the word of the Lord. He stands ready to forgive you. Well, you can draw near in full assurance that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. If we consider what was going on back to our narrative in John, we see that Peter and John come into the scene. Because Mary Magdalene, she becomes concerned that the stone is rolled away. Where is Jesus? And she runs and gets Peter and John. Let us consider God's word again from John Beginning in verse 2, it says this, Then she, Mary Magdalene, ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, 
and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I just want to pause there and say, for all of us who don't run as fast as we used to, it would seem from the narrative of Scripture that John is considerably younger than some of the other disciples, and certainly Peter. But John loved Jesus. His enthusiasm brought him to the tomb quickly. But it says this, And he, this is John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. John loved him, ran there, and he, 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 he's like, I don't know what's going on, and he just peered in. Jesus on the other, I mean Jesus, Peter on the other hand comes running in, and he just bolts right on by, goes directly in, probably huffing and puffing, <laughs> looking around. Now it's interesting, there's something going on here, because what is it that they saw? It says in both cases, both John and Peter saw the same thing. They saw the linen cloths lying there. Now these linen cloths lying there remind us of Jesus' priestly work. Let us hear God's word from Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Right? So he's got on, he's going in there, he's made an atonement for him and his house, and he's going into the Holy of Holies. Now he's going into the veil. So first he had to make an atonement for himself, and now he's going in behind the veil to the Holy of Holies to make an atonement for all of God's people. And it says this, And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that is the cloud of the, excuse me, that is the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And remember the number seven is about completeness. Then he, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions for all their sins, so that he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness." Now, people of God, on the Day of Atonement, after the high priest left the Holy of Holies, he removes his linen garments and returns to the tabernacle. So he goes from the Holy of Holies, and he removes his linen garments, and then he goes out into the tabernacle. And again, if you look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23, it says, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, so take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. This is important because, again, 
both Peter and John saw those linen garments lying there. It's reminding us of the priestly work of Jesus and what was happening. Jesus knew that he had made an atonement for the sins and left the garments there in the tomb. Again, let us look at this. It says, Then the other disciple came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. He believed something was going on. But look at this. Verse 9 says this, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. They really didn't know what was going on or what was happening. They were still, even though the sunlight had come up, they were still in the dark. Let us consider the tomb. Beginning in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I want us to consider what she's seeing there. She's looking into the tomb. There's a, there's a slab there. And there's an angel at this end. And there's an angel at that end. If we're going to understand this, we need to think about what else do we see in Scripture like this. Consider Exodus 25, verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherub at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. And the faces of the cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. That is the word of God is what they're going to put in there. From between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Here we see the slab of stones with the two angels sitting there. One angel on either end. This brings into focus what, what Mary sees when she looks into the tomb. Think about this. What was supposed to be? So you've got the cherubim, right? And the ark. And what was supposed to be sitting inside that? The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus. You see this? You're, you're, you're tracking here. This is what she's seeing. But she, that is Mary, still does not know what's going on. She is still in the dark. Everyone is blinded by the darkness. Consider verse 14. Now when, he, when, when she had said this, that is to the angels, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Jesus is now standing in her presence, and it says, and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. 
First of all, I want to say this, people of God. She watched Jesus die on the cross. And she loved him and cared for him and cared for what happened to him after his death. She was really weeping there that day. You need to think how much she cared for him. But Mary is blinded. She cannot truly see Jesus. But Mary is not alone in her blindness. If you look at Luke 24, we see this. that Behold, two of them, that's two of Jesus' disciples, were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. But verse 16 tells us in Luke 24 that their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. But, can, but, but think on this now. In, in verse 27 of Luke 24, it says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, expanded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. He explained all of those things, and they still weren't seeing. Verse 30 tells us this, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. People of God, it is the Spirit of God who opens up our eyes. Who opens up the eyes of the world. Again looking at verse 36 we see that the, the disciples, again in Luke 24, in verse 36, talking about who those who are still blinded, it says this about the disciples. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they, that is the disciples, were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. The disciples were still in the dark. They still didn't understand. They still couldn't see that it was Jesus. Verse 44 of Luke 24 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And verse 45 says, And he opened their understanding. The Spirit of God, through the work of Christ, opened their understanding of all of his word, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead on the third day, and that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Why did Jesus come? Why did he die? He came to suffer and die and rise again from the dead, that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached to all the nations. Those of us sitting in this room, we've been engrafted in. We're part of those nations. And yes, it did start in Jerusalem on that day. This is important. Returning back to our passage in John, beginning with verse 16, this narrative of Jesus and his resurrection, we see that Jesus speaks to Mary. It says this, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus called her by her name. 
Remember when we talked about on Friday night that Jesus was forsaken and alone and in the dark and that all had forsook him? And yet Jesus knows Mary's name. People of God, Jesus knows your name. John 10, 27 tells us this. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. There's assurance for you. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus calls Mary's name. Every child in this room right now, look at me. Look at me. I know you hear your parents say this. But I will tell you this. Jesus does, in fact, know your name, and he has called you. You know, when we baptize you up here at the font, and next week we'll be baptizing someone, when we go to baptize, we say the person's name. Jesus knows your name. We draw near to God because Jesus has called us by our name. Again, let's look to John chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. Continuing on this narrative, we see that Mary is restored to the Father. John 20, 17 says this, Jesus said to her, that is Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I, that's Jesus, am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples what she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This promise that Jesus speaks to Mary about him going to his father and her father and to his God and her God, this is Jesus' work that through his atonement for her and for all of you, that her sins are forgiven, and that Yahweh is her God and her Father. This language we find in Exodus chapter 6, beginning of verse 6. Therefore I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God brings the people of Israel out of slavery to himself as a loving father and to be their God. And God himself, through the work of Jesus Christ, brings us to him as his children and as our God. We see this same theme later on in Jeremiah when Jeremiah is prophesying the judgment and the exile because the people of Israel have not stayed faithful. We see in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 22 that, you, that, that in this prophecy where Jeremiah is telling the people of Israel, you're going to go into exile, you're going to be enslaved, I'm going to bring you back. And he says this in verse 22, You shall be my people, 
and I will be your God. People of God, rejoice. This promise is for all of us today. Through Jesus' atoning work on the cross, we are reconciled to the Father. He is both our Father and our God. This truly brings us full circle from creation. God put man in a garden with a woman, and when Adam sinned, God's righteous judgment fell on all of mankind. And God in His mercy placed a veil of protection between all of us and His holiness. Now, on this Resurrection Sunday, 2,000 years ago, a man, the second Adam, Jesus, laid down His life for all of us, including Mary, this woman in the garden. By the way, whom He sends as His first messenger of this great and merciful news. This is exciting things. But the question is, now what? Again, it can become like that thing that you are always got all these other priorities that you don't go down and pick up. And soon it, you just go by it again and again and again. So the now what is to understand that we need to celebrate. I hope that every one of you goes somewhere and fellowships with people today and you have a big feast set out. And if you don't have one, go get one. Or ask someone else, can I come to your feast? We need to celebrate. Because people of God, if Jesus is not resurrected, we are still in our sins. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says this, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In that same passage, in verse 20, it says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is risen. What then should we do? We should celebrate. We should be full of rejoicing for God has been reconciled to us through the work of Jesus Christ. The difficulty is that often our, in our ordinary state, we become bogged down with distractions and troubles. I've been talking to you for some time about the church calendar. We have 50 days of Easter from today all the way to Pentecost. We have 50 days to celebrate, 50 days to rejoice. And I'm not saying don't celebrate on the rest of the time of the year, but I want us to really grab a hold of this because Christ is risen. He is risen we need to celebrate for the next 50 days. Not a Sunday should go by where we're not rejoicing with one another because we are now reconciled to God our Father. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I don't know about this. The church calendar can be used to push us out of our comfort zone. We need to bid our apathy and distractions goodbye. You might even say, I haven't done this before. You might even say, based off your past, this is not what I expected to celebrate for 50 days. Think about this right now. Are we really asking too much to celebrate Christ being risen from the dead? for 50 days? 
People of God, your sins are forgiven. Christ is risen. He has done the work. He has paid the price. Your sins are forgiven. And all of your hopes, all of your assurance is in Jesus Christ. You might say, I didn't expect this. Pastor Dan to get up here and say, celebrate, 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 celebrate for 50 days, celebrate. Have a big party. People of God, Mary, Peter, John, nor any of the disciples were expecting Jesus to be resurrected. On that morning, those who went to the tomb went looking for the risen among the dead. The disciples had to begin with an entirely new paradigm in every area of their lives, a new theology. Christ had to explain. Remember, three times we've heard this this morning. He had to explain the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning himself. He'd been explaining it for three years, and they didn't get it. It wasn't until he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that the veil between mankind and God the Father had been torn, and he was now the mediator. We could certainly be reconciled to God. Let us have a new way of thinking, celebrating Christ's wonderful work of forgiving our sins. But that's not all. We are to remember that those who rejected Jesus refused to be the priests to all the nations. When we look at, you've heard me say it for the last three months, this continual call out for repentance to those who would not do their priestly duty. In your rejoicing, we need to remember our call. There's a call for us to go into the whole world with the message of celebration that the people may be free from the slavery and judgment of their sins in Christ Jesus. Let us celebrate joyfully the work that He has begun in us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 tells us this, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how great and marvelous you are, how gracious and merciful in all your ways unto us. We thank you that by your mercy we are the people of the resurrection, that we have eternal victory in Jesus Christ, that our history has no end. Make us ever joyful in the victory that you have given us. Amen.